Hey, my friends, welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 264, the first episode of 2023. I got a lot of numbers in my head because I'm getting ready to start a series in the book of numbers on Sunday mornings as a church. Don't want to miss that if you're listening or watching right now. Um, I know a lot of people look at numbers and they're like, weird name, weird book. Lots of stuff I don't care about, not applicable, moving on to whatever's next, right? Like Deuteronomy or whatever else. Like when you do your annual reading plan, you can pound out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's a slog, but there's some weird little commands in there. So you're like, all right, I'll keep reading to see what weird thing I'm not supposed to do. Uh, and then you get to numbers and you're like, I this is this is lame. Why is this in the Bible? God could have picked anything. Like, why did he put Shakespeare or Star Wars or, you know, like, why the book of Numbers? Well, um, this is why I am here. I am not some miracle worker or anything like that. Uh, but I do have the, the joy and the privilege of being wired in such a way that uh, when it comes to weird, strange books like Numbers, I get pretty fascinated by them, right? And part of it is because my brain works in patterns a lot, so I'm always trying to figure out pattern stuff. And Numbers is a pattern book. It doesn't feel like that at first when you're actually like getting into it. You're just like, okay, it's a it's this family with this many people and this family with this many people from this tribe. And again, I can't pronounce any of these except for like Dan and Judah and Reuben. And then the rest are out the window for me. Maybe Benjamin, I can get nailed down. But after that, it's nothing. Well, we're going to have five weeks in the book of Numbers. And it's just going to be like the mountain peaks, right? We're checking out the mountain range of numbers. And then from that, we're seeing that there is a pattern that emerges that I think is true to all of our lives in so many ways. And so that's what it's going to be about. So if you can, check it out. And I even push this a little bit. Again, I don't know how it's all going to turn out in the end. I never know how these series are going to be until they're done. But uh, when we did Leviticus, because my goal has been to do the first five books of the Bible, uh, we've been doing that. We were doing it every year until COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I just was like, okay, I'm I'm not, we were doing digital, you know, like 80% of what we were doing was online for almost two years. And so I'm like, I'm not going to take us through numbers. That was the next thing on the list. I'm like, I'm not going to take us through numbers during this time. I'm trying to keep this a little bit more safe and sane, right? So didn't do it for a couple of years, but now we're back to it. So this year is going to be numbers. I'm hoping next year is Deuteronomy. Uh, that's the one that actually freaks me out the most. And most people are kind of surprised by that. It's big. I mean, they're all kind of big. Uh, but Deuteronomy is also literally the word Deuteronomy means second law. So it's the second giving of the law. It's when Israel is on the plains of Moab. They're getting ready to go into their ancestral home, the promised land, as we call it. And uh, and so Moses reiterates, hey, here's the rules, you know, and there's just a lot of laws in there. And it's different than Leviticus. Leviticus sits at the center of those first five books for a reason, as far as like it's highlighting the love of neighbor. And it's the center of the law, that idea of loving your neighbors, the center of the law for the Mosaic code. And so even though it has a lot of laws, Deuteronomy has a lot more. It breaks down a lot of details and some of them are hyper, hyper weird and you just don't know what to do with it. So I'm a little nervous about Deuteronomy actually. Numbers, not so much. So anyway, that was a really long preamble of saying, hey, it's 2023, come join us for the book of Numbers. Uh, but that'd be cool. So 
I also pushed out because you know what? It's been a minute since we've been together. So uh, my plan was to try to put something out just before Christmas. Didn't happen. Uh, and so kind of with that, I was like, ah, man, I better get back to this. And so it's actually Friday of the first week of January. And I'm finally getting to the podcast because it's just been like crazy times. It's been good times. It's been some family times. It's been some busy times and everything else. And so I'm trying to get all this stuff hobbled together. And this week was supposed to be like, the last of the crazy weeks, I had kind of engineered it that way, um, and and then I had something happen where eh, now I got to protract out my crazy for at least another week. So, quick story, and then I'm gonna jump into the topic of the day. But um, as uh, some of you know, uh, I kind of started a health and fitness journey a number of years ago. I think it's probably been about. I think I probably started this in 2017, I think it was, something like that. So it's it's been a little bit, right? And that was rooted in a number of things. I was out of shape. I was overweight. I was fighting with an autoimmune disease that was having some effects negatively on my body because of stress. And so, like, the doctor's like, you got to reduce your stress if you want to minimize these symptoms uh, and everything else. And so I'm like, okay, I'll change my eating habits so I'll eat a bit more whole food. And that was just at the time. I... I, I, I'm not as strict with my eating nowadays as I used to be, um, but I'm still, I try to be thoughtful about it, right? So I changed my diet, uh, lost some weight, and then from losing some weight, I'm like, now I look skinny, so I'm going to go to the gym and I try to at least put on a little bit of lean muscle mass to kind of balance things out and everything else. And I ended up getting really, really hooked on that, right? And that's the thing. People say, man, you're so dedicated because I, I try to do a seven-day routine at the gym. There's exceptions to the rule, like if Dylan's got a day off uh, and we want to do something, I don't go then or, you know, there's... But I'd say on average, most weeks of the year, I make it in seven days a week. I've got a very particular routine that I do in that. And yet the 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 thing behind all of that is not dedication. I hate to say it that way. Like, I am not dedicated to this at all. It's a little bit like if there's a thing in your life you really enjoy doing, so much so that it's not work, that's this thing. So for me, it's not work. It's not effort. Um, you know, it's... It is, it is the, one of the easiest things in my life that I actually get to do. And so I always feel bad for others that it is real legitimate work and it's hard to get in and it's hard to get routine on, on maybe working out or whatever else. Like I feel for you because that wasn't my, my situation, right? So I go like, yeah, I, I think other people that make it three days a week are far more dedicated than me if they're going in and they're not liking it, if they're going in as a labor of love or whatever else. And it's like, hey, kudos to you. So anyway, so this journey for me started and I was one of those, you know, I was the typical middle-aged guy, uh, you know, I, I back in the day, I used to be fit, I hadn't been fit for a long time, uh, not legitimately fit, so uh, you, you get all the insecurities of going to the gym, and you're kind of finding yourself, and finding a routine, and finding what works, and finding what doesn't work, and coping with injuries, and all these different things, and so I, I kind of know that story, and then, you know, just trying to, you know, uh, progress through what you're doing and everything else like all of that's kind of hard and so uh, anyway you know I, I took that journey but now I'm in like I really enjoy it it's uh, like a happy space for me it's very therapeutic it's very spiritual even in some ways for me uh, I've listened through the bible from stem to stern a number of times at the gym just with my beats on and everything else and so uh I started talking to Ellen this last year I'm like you know what I'd love to do I would love to be just like the part-time alternate trainer person at the gym uh, just to connect with people, to be an encouragement to people, you know, to, to kind of bring my personality trait and everything else to bear on that environment and, you know, see people kind of move from unhealthy to healthy. And so I'm like, I should get my 
personal trainer certification, right? So she's like, eh, you know, maybe, you know, like, cause she's out in certain nights at the hospital and then I'm home and there's like nothing I'm interested in streaming. So I'm like, you know, hey, I could do this in the evenings when Ellen's working or whatever else. So I uh, decided this year finally to go ahead and start, start earning my certification. So it's called NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, started doing that. And, uh, and so finally this week was my exam. So it's a pass fail, it has like a 35% failure rate. It's kind of a hard, of the personal trainer certifications, it's the hardest of the personal trainer certifications for like getting your actual CPT is what they call it. Um, and I wanted to do that one just because it was a lot of science, it was a lot of anatomy, memorizing muscle movement, muscle you know components, things like that. So uh, anyway, I uh, decided I'm gonna do that one and yesterday was my exam and there was a technical glitch and I couldn't take my exam. And I was so frustrated because I have been like working on numbers and then um, uh, like cramming for the exam, like all like this week, right? Getting it all, trying to put, pull it together and make it happen. And it didn't happen. So uh, now I got to wait like three to five days for them to send like some kind of report like, okay, we send it back to NASM from the testing center. There was a glitch and then they have to authorize the retaking of the test and then they have to re-put it into the system and then I can come and reapply and then I can retake and oh, the plights of a first world problem. <laughs> so, but I am, I'm really looking forward to doing this even in part because it gets me out of the fishbowl a little bit. It, it, it lets you have conversations with people in a completely different way. And so for me, I'm really excited about this, you know, as far as just, again, it's going to be a, a cool different way to connect with people uh, in something that, again, I enjoy. I, I hope I can help other people enjoy it as well. And so uh, anyway, so that's what I'm kind of been doing a little bit through the holidays, like family, doing my my... Uh, CPT uh, prep, prep training, and then you know working on numbers like all that stuff, and then the little nooks and cranny things in between. All that's been happening. So anyway, I figured I'd catch you up with kind of what's happening in 2023. But I've been doing on the last end of 2022. What I was hoping to get done this week didn't get done. Hopefully, get done next week, and then I can get on the things. And so anyway, but that is not why you're here. I'm hoping at this point you're not like I clicked off life five minutes ago, which you wouldn't even hear me say that because you clicked off five minutes ago. But uh, anyway, it's been a little bit. I thought I'd just do some. Um, updating of uh, things, if you will. But that's not the topic of the day. No, the topic of the day is a theme that I want to push for all of us in 2023. And the theme is, you ready? It's time for us to fight, to focus, to be driven, to be kind and be cool. Yes, I want us to be kind, to be cool as everyday missionaries. And I'm going to kind of hit this from a certain angle by telling you a story that I think is, I don't know if I think it's funny. I think it's got an irony to it more than anything else. Uh, and and so uh, over the years I've received, back in the day, it used to be analog notes of an anonymous nature. Uh, you know, And it was just letting me know that I said something on Sunday that offended them or I did something that was wrong or whatever else. And so back in the day, you used to get the comment card that was dropped in the box and here's the comment for you, you suck. Uh, and so always, you know, pastor's favorite thing is to open the comment card box. So anyway, back in the day it was like that. And then it kind of evolved to emails that were sent through routers to where it ended up being an anonymous email email so you didn't know who sent it and they really wanted to just kind of wreck your day and that's the way a lot of these things go down you know when they're anonymous the the truth is the person sending it is hurt and they want to inflict hurt that's what I've come to conclude about anonymous letters and so with that anytime I would get an anonymous letter I would simply not read it so or an anonymous email I would just go oh I don't know the you know the sender and I would scroll to the bottom and if there's no name 
or a single name that is like a name I don't really know, uh, I just would delete it. I wouldn't even read it because I, I do not suffer from curiosity. Like there are people that are just really curious about things. That is not me. I do not suffer from curiosity at all, right? So I was fine just wadding things up, throw them in the trash, delete it, whatever else. But there are occasions where you do get an email from a person uh, that you do not know, but is you don't know because they're not in your orbit, but you know of them because they're a legitimate person in the community or something like that of that nature. And they have something maybe critical of you or you're trying to interact because they've asked you something and then it can go south and there's certain statements or whatever else. Uh, and, and I've received some of those before too. And I've had some, what I'm going to call to be like critics in our community that I, of people I don't know, I've never sat down with them, I've never had a conversation, they don't go to our church or anything else. They either hear something, catch something, or assume something, and then they kind of send a letter, so, or an email. And so there was one of those here in the recent past where uh, a person was inquiring about some of our thoughts as a church on certain topics, right? And uh, and it it in their mind, I think the, the thing that they kind of assumed or perceived about the nature of their question is that it was very black and white. It was a very simple question. It should have a very simple answer. And I'm not gonna get into the weeds of that because I'm using this as an illustration. I don't wanna start tipping off what the topic was and this gets back to people and da 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 da, right? So I'm keeping this as generic as possible. Um, but the topic was not at all simplistic. It really isn't. There are there were nuances and top on top of nuances inside of nuances. You know, like it, it was just one of those types of things where it's like, okay, in some circumstances, yes. In other circumstances, no. This condition, possibly. This condition, probably not. And it would be across the boards for any human being, right? So like, it, it was just like, there's some things that are not as simple black and white. And this is part of the problem, I think, even sometimes with Christians. When we operate in the public space, we take topics and we make them utterly black and white too. And that's unfortunate because life is messy. If there's anything I've learned from Ecclesiastes, it's life is messy. If there's anything I've learned going through the Pentateuch of the first five books of the Old Testament is that there is more nuance than you realize even, even there, right? So, so again, the question they're asking was going to take some, some unpacking and it wasn't just going to be a yes or no. So uh, I uh, waited a couple of days to get back to them and then said, okay, so, because they said, you know what, what, what are you waiting? Just yes or no. And, and I said, well, again, it, it's not yes or no. There's a lot in here I have to break down. So I'm literally going to record you your own personal podcast so I can walk through and help you understand the dynamics of the question you're asking and why it's not as simple as yes or no. And their response was probably the meanest email I've received in a few years, which says a lot, honestly, probably in the last 10 years. I would say it was probably the, the one of the more mean emails. It was just, you know, very... Um, upset. Now, again, I don't know this person. I assume them to be probably a very nice person in all facets of life. I don't know the headspace of this, or I don't know if it was just what it was, right? I even told them, hey, I'm thinking the best because they said, you probably think I'm terrible. I'm like, I'm going to think the best. Like, I don't think you're terrible. I think you have reasons to be frustrated. I think there are things behind your question that, because I don't know fully what's behind it from a deeper thing, you know, it certainly feels hostile. I could say that, but I wasn't sure anything else. So uh, anyway, it was, like I said, just this really very, very angry feeling kind of email and kind of directed at me. Like, you know, you're, you're iconic of the problem. And, and so I'm going to kind of share it that way. 
And I, like I said, I understood. I, I didn't take any offense at it or anything else. I really understood it. Um, but the the thing that I thought was a part of the irony behind it is that then I discovered later that this person is a part of kind of a, a, a movement or an organization that's all dedicated to kind of like kindness, not bullying, um, you know, not being hypercritical of people, like trying to really just be cool with your neighbor kind of deal and everything else. And I thought that was kind of the irony to me of here's this person that's connected to this entity that is dedicated to what I'm going to fundamentally call a type of let's, let's be kind in our world. <clears throat> and yet my interaction with that person was not, I, I, I wouldn't say in the end of that, like, wow, that person has questions, concerns, disagreements, but man, they really did that kindly. I was like, no, it's it felt much more like anger, judgmenty kind of thing or whatever else. And and again, I go, I, there's things behind that. Like I give them tons of grace, totally, right? So on my part, it's all good, but that was the irony part. I'm like, okay, they are, they are every, in every other facet, an ambassador of kindness, but in this private interaction, not an ambassador of kindness. And I can't help but look at things like this and want to be reflective and go like, okay, I just experienced that, you know, again, from what I can say from the content, not a person that claims any kind of at least Christian faith, I would say is probably uh, has some strong opinions contrary to the Christian faith. And so I understand where they were coming from there as well. Uh, but it made me think about us as Christians and how this theme of kindness or what I'm calling today, be cool, be kind, how this theme of kindness is A, it's not optional, it's required, and B, it's on the final exam, right? I'm always bringing us back to Matthew 25, like when we get there and he's like, hey man, I was naked, I was thirsty, I was in prison, you know, all these things, did you did you step up for me? Uh, I cared about like real, uh, what we're gonna call righteousness in the world, and righteousness in the world is not moral one-upness, Righteousness in the world is saying, I seek the equity and equality of all, even at the cost of myself, because that's what Jesus did for me. True righteousness is when you take what you have, right? Your privilege in life, and you use that privilege to bring the, the other ships up, so to speak. You're the rising tide, if you will. Righteousness is built in the Old Testament as an idea of being truly just to all, not just your group. And if you're only just to your group and you do not seek justice for all, it's kind of a big deal to God. It's like one of the biggest sins, right? And at the core of that, I think then is kindness. Like, well, the core of that is Leviticus and the love of neighbor. But I think kind of a love of neighbor in, a, in an applied practical way is kindness. And we as Christians then, we should be kind, you know? And, and so kind of looking at my notes here, I was thinking about this when it comes to one of the things we continue to battle through uh, is reputation as conservative evangelical Christians. And some of that reputation I get, it's it's people that are either against us, hurt by us, see us as a threat, whatever else, and they're loading up a reputation that we haven't fully earned, right? That That's gonna be true. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. No big shocker. I'm always surprised when we're frustrated that people do that with Christians. I'm like, wait a minute. Like this is, you were so told before you signed the, uh, the contract, like this is what happens. And in that, when they do this, you're supposed to love them, do good to them, pray for them. You know, all the stuff we've learned, right? Like he's like, hey man, when you got people that are misrepresenting you, that's a chance to love them. Not a chance to be like, oh, this liberal agenda is out to destroy my religious liberty. Like that is the most 
anti what we signed up for response <laughs> that we could have, right? So, so uh, I, I go, I get that we sometimes have reputation that is just inflicted on us because yeah, we've got critics, right? That's going to be true. Um, but there's the other side of it. And that is the self-inflicted wounds because we sometimes don't sound cool, don't sound kind, don't sound empathetic, don't sound like we really want justness for all and we want to rise the tide, if you will, for all the ships. Um, that we don't sound like that. We actually sound the opposite of that or we sound critical of some of those things or we land on the wrong side of some of those arguments. And from that, we self-inflict the wound of Christians aren't kind. So sometimes we may in fact be kind and it doesn't get recognized. But there's other times where I go, we may not have the best record for kindness and that's a self-inflicted wound that it very much impacts us as everyday missionaries because if you've ever had a bad server at a restaurant, you've ever had a bad interaction at the DMV, you've ever had a bad interaction with a police officer, you've ever had a bad interaction with an employee or a coworker or whatever else and you barely know them and the first thing is bad, it's unkind, it instantly so taints you going forward. It would take a ton to dig out. No, it does happen. I've met people I thought, man, that person was not kind. And eventually I became friends with them. But it takes a while, right? So this is where we as Christians want to really labor to have an attitude, a mindset of kindness in all that we do. And part of that mindset of kindness then is having a disposition where we think the best, right? We have an attitude that says, you know what? I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to seek to think the best, even in a bad circumstance. And so I'm going to try to be kind all the time. I'm going to be kind to the people I come in contact with. And when I think about the people in my world, I'm going to think the best, not the worst. I'm going to assume their intentions, while I may not agree with them, are good intentions that are true to their frame of reference, as opposed to their intentions are bad, dangerous, nefarious, and it's rooted in an agenda that's against me. Because that's what I'm seeing more. I go to the Christian Post, which is a kind of a new site for Christians, and their headlines are as terrible as like any network news. Like I go, you sound as bad as every network, as far as like, it's meant to be raise suspicions. It's meant to be bombastic. It's meant to be shock value kind of stuff to me. And then you read the article and it's just cruddy journalism on top of it. And you go like, man, you gave a, a, a tagline that is not representative of the facts of the information, especially when cross-referenced. This is just like a type of clickbait in the name of Christ, which drives me nuts, right? And so in this clickbaity in the name of Christ article, you are highlighting the fact that the other side, because it's often against liberals and it's against the gay agenda and it's against the trans agenda and all these kinds of things, you know, the attitude there. And, and when you kind of go through it, it's like, man, you're assuming the worst about what you're writing about, which then for the reader causes them to go, those people are bad or dangerous or destructive or they threaten America or they threaten the church or whatever else. And that doesn't cause us to go, so we need to be even better missionaries to these people. It makes us get defensive, right? It makes us kind of want to pull back and be like, they're the threat. They're the threat to my kids or the threat to my family, they're the threat to my liberty, whatever else. And so we completely upend our missional responsibility 
and our posture because instead of saying, I'm going to think the best about where they're coming from so I can figure out how to reach them, we go, I'm going to think the worst about where they're coming from and I got to figure out how to resist them, right? And this is the self-inflicted wound of why I do think Christianity is shrinking in our culture, why I do think uh, many people have left the Christian faith in recent years is this very thing because it it's too obviously against Jesus. It's like, it's it's not like, oh, well, that's a gray area. No, it's just obviously against the way Jesus did things. I don't mean like people who are doing this are actually against Jesus, but I go, I think Jesus is like, man, why are you, why are you inflicting me with this damage? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, why, why are you shooting my mission in the foot with your attitudes of not thinking the best, but thinking the worst about people and then teaching other people to think the worst about people. And then from that, you don't want to reach those people. You just want to fight those people. You want to resist those people. You want to warn others about those people without any desire to love on those people, talk to those people, build a relationship with those people, understand where those people are coming from. And so my encouragement, on the be kind side of this. This is a tough one for us, I think. But in this, it is literally to not see things as an agenda, to believe the best in other people's positions until you factually have a reason to think otherwise. And as soon as I say factually, 90% of the time, we will never have a reason factually to think otherwise. So, here's a perspective for us that we should probably understand a little bit more. Uh, if you're somebody that is more on the political left, then you probably are going to fall more into the pro-choice camp. And the pro-choice camp tends to talk about the pro-life agenda. And the pro-life agenda is to control women, to maintain the patriarchy, uh, and to make sure that women can't do with their bodies what what men can do with theirs. Because this is about men controlling women, ultimately. If Christian men could bring in Handmaid's Tale, they would totally do it. They're just waiting for the day it can happen, right? Like, in other words, the left looks at Christians and says, this is where you really fall. You, you don't care about women as much as you care about men. You want to control women. You want to get back to Handmaid's Tale. Now, I am sure every one of us that is sitting here listening and going, hey, I'm pro-life. That's on me. I go, right. You don't like that, do you? You don't like when, when people assume on you your agenda. Because what I'll tell you what I know of most pro-life people, their, quote, agenda is an agenda. It's a belief that, hey, life begins at a certain point, right? For many, it's going to be in conception. Others are going to kind of say in the first few weeks or whatever it is. There's some discussion about that. It's totally cool. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, most of where it lands is, hey, life is kind of beginning at that, that conception moment or so early you don't know you're pregnant or whatever else. And therefore, we're just trying to preserve what we think is a life. Your agenda isn't patriarchy. Your agenda isn't controlling women. You don't even watch Handmaid's Tale. And if you did, you'd be horrified at the notion that there would be a land that could be created like that, right? So um, I, I go, that's what the heart is of most pro-life people that I know. So their agenda isn't controlling women. Their belief is in the life of the unborn. That's kind of what it comes down to. Well, then I want that to kind of get flipped a little bit. And you look at the topics that are maybe on the left a little bit more. And instead of us Christians going, oh, that's the gay agenda. They just want to queer up our kids. They just want our kids to, you know, go wait, flip it. They feel like they're in a marginalized population that has been judged by the majority, which for many years is true, right? 
um, that it's a misunderstood group. They're, they're on the other side of this, they, they fight often for trans rights and gay rights because there's high suicide rates there because people get rejected by their friends, rejected by their family, rejected by their culture. I know you go, no, but the agenda right now is you're the most popular person if you come out. There is still, again, having a gay son, I go, I get a front row seat that most people don't get, right? And so with that too, I go, man, there are things to be noticed and seen in this that are not as simple as our black and whiteness and that there are nuances and life and stories and people and everything else. And I go, I find for the most part that there's not, quote, a gay agenda. You talk to most people that are contending for that population of people. And this is about caring about equality, caring about a sense of justice, caring about mental health, caring about um, people that have been ostracized or banished by their family. And so the deep mental health wounds that can come from that. And so what I hear Christians call an agenda, I see people on the other side that are trying to deal with these realities as just trying to love their neighbor, you know, just as much as the pro-life people are trying to love their unborn neighbor and it's not an agenda, right? This is where we need to start thinking the best. That doesn't mean that in thinking the best, we're going to agree. But in thinking the best, we're going to be much kinder in how we interact about these things, right? And we're going to have more um, empathy and compassion and wanting to understand a person's story more than just judge their circumstance or situation or what we perceive to be their perception. Because every time we, we buy in to our suspicions, every time we think there is this coordinated agenda and we don't actually give grace to say, hey, there may be more to the story than I understand, what we're in essence doing is we're forming, like we're closing the gaps on the story in our mind. We're creating more of the story than what is there. We're suspicious about things. We're assuming many things. And then we buy into that and we retell that story that this is their agenda. That's their agenda, whatever it is. And that's actually slander and gossip. And the Bible speaks to that. Like, in other words, if we don't factually know, if somebody for the, uh, you know, some just a pro-gay organization, if they don't get them to say, our agenda is to destroy heterosexuality in America, then, you know, if, if they don't say that, don't say their agenda is to destroy heterosexuality. They hate straight white cis males, and that's their agenda to burn them to the ground. If they don't say it, don't assume that's their agenda. Just go like, hey, they're contending for their side of a debate. That's what they're doing. Got to respect that people have passion about what they believe, right? Just as much as if you're on the left, but as a Christian, you know, don't go, well, all the pro-life people is because they, they want to control women and they would rather put them back into a time where they couldn't vote and they couldn't work and they can't, like all the things that can get said over there, right? You know, unless some Christian leader stands up and says, this is our agenda. We want to enslave women again. Like, you know, we want to own them as property, like in the Old Testament. That would be fantastic. Getting back to Moses, you know, like, like, Unless that's getting said, like don't assume that that is the agenda, right? Because that's not thinking the best. Now, if somebody flatly says something and you have a fact and you have a soundbite that is in a context that is accurate, then games change, right? You you can go, they said this, this is what they said. But even then you can be kind. They said this, I don't agree with this, but they said this, right? I'm not gonna try to burn them to the ground, but we're gonna highlight that that's not a good thinking thing and wanna change that, right? So. That's the heart behind the Be Cool, Be Kind campaign of 2023. It's just having this kind of attitude. Now, the reason I think Christians can kind of sometimes fall into this stuff, right? Because I'm not going to speak to people, because everybody does. Everybody falls into 
speculation, suspicion, not thinking the best, thinking everybody has an agenda. Everybody does it. But when Christians do it, I'm always more concerned because we should be more clear-minded because we're the only ones that I really think have a missional agenda to reach everybody. No other group says we got to reach everybody in a way that is gracious, compassionate, kind, rooted in the fact that we've been rescued by a gracious God who gave himself for us. And so we give ourselves for others in his name so they can know him, right? That's our agenda, right? If we have an agenda, that's it. We're going to love people into the kingdom. We're going to serve people into the kingdom. We're going to sacrifice for people into the kingdom, which means you don't dislike them. You don't slander them. You don't judge them. You don't smack, talk smack about them. You, you don't uh, try to avoid them. You certainly don't try to figure out how you can become a bloating voting block just to shut them all down, shut them all up so you can have the America you want. That None of that is Christian, right? At all. The reason I think sometimes Christians fall into this trap, though, is both our end times views mixed with our spiritual warfare views. And those are across the map. Like, they're, they're the gray area of Christianity. Uh, and, and yet we go, well, we assume agendas and we assume conspiracies because we go, they're supernatural beings working behind the scenes and the world's going to come to this ultimate global warfare hellscape. And because of our end times views and our spiritual warfare views, we're just more susceptible to believe that there's all these puppet masters working behind the scenes. And what I would say there is I'll take Paul's advice, which is, yes, Jesus is coming back. There are things behind the scenes. Um, It's way above our pay grade. Christians, we haven't been able to agree on this stuff for thousands of years. Ain't going to change tomorrow. But Paul's like, guess what? You still just got to love the person in front of you. You have to love the human race. You have to remember that people are not your enemy. Flesh and blood are not your enemy. So the left isn't your enemy. The right isn't your enemy. The you know, pro-gay movement is not your enemy. The pro-life movement is not your enemy. If you're a Christian, none of these people are your enemy. None of them are, right? So you just are left to be cool, be kind. And to focus on what's true. Don't speculate. Focus on what is true. Paul says that in Philippians 4. He's like, hey man, focus on those things and the peace, God, uh, the God of peace is going to be with you. Whatever's true and right and lovely and pure. Like, just focus on those things, right? And then see yourself as a missionary where if there's somebody that's against you, man, try to figure out how you can reach out to them. If there's some group that you perceive that's against you, Start praying for that group, not so that that group changes, but so that you change in relationship to that group because you're a missionary. I'm a missionary, right? We're it on the planet. We're the ones that get to do this thing. And Jesus gave us a prescription in how it's to be done. And it's not done by being critical of others. It's not done by being suspicious of others. It's not done by just wanting to warn and rant of others. And so here's my last little bit of advice. I'm going to close out the podcast because this one's going to be a little longer, I think, at this point because I've talked about numbers and workouts and now I'm talking about kindness. Um, But I I, I think it's important um, to say, hey, I, I need to be discerning, right? But in my discernment, uh, I, I don't want to harden up to the very people I'm called to reach. So if you have news outlets, uh, you have podcasts, you have preachers, you have blog sites, you have articles, you have some corner of the World Wide Web or the dark parts of the web or whatever thing we want to do, that when you go there and you listen and interact and absorb, it makes you frustrated it makes you fearful, it makes you frantic, it makes you suspicious, it causes you to go, they're the problem, they're the danger, they're the threat, they're the issue, they're the thing we should be concerned about. If it causes you to say, I need more ammo and I need food supplies and I need whatever it is, my encouragement is to unplug from that, right? 
uh, unplug from that because it's tainting your view of the world you're called to reach, right? If, if there is more of this, we need to either fight it to fix it or we need to flee it to avoid it, um, both of those are not missional, right? The, the missionary embraces that they have already died, right? This is why Jesus says, if you want to follow me, die to yourself. We embrace we're already dead. This idea that I'm fighting to sustain my way of life is kind of counter gospel. Uh, I'm dead. I'm dead for the sake of the gospel. I'm dead for the sake of Christ. I'm dead for the sake of the mission, right? I'm dead to myself. It's not about what I want for myself. It's about what Jesus wants to do through me. And what that means then is, hey, I'm here to love the unlovely. I'm here to invest into the irritated. I am here to pray for my critic. I am here to show them something different than what they anticipate, right? I am not going to think the worst of them. I'm going to think the best, even at their worst. That's what I'm going to fight for because that's gospel stuff. That's what changed the world in the early days of Christianity. And I honestly feel at times it is lost except in pockets. And I believe that we should try to bring that back as much as we can, as much as depends on you. <gasps> Live at peace with all men. Why? Because that is how the gospel goes forth. And so I believe if we can start to think about this, to be cool, be kind, have this focus, this investment, this sense of priority, not looking at others as the danger, but looking at others as my potential brothers and sisters as I share love, the more we do that, the more we'll be effective every day missionaries.